Amen. Amen. Well, we're kicking off a new series here today. As you can see, the words are behind me on the sign. It is called Christmas Playlist. Christmas Playlist. If you were part of our church throughout this year, in the summertime, we did a series that we titled Summer Set List. And we talked about how everybody has some certain songs that maybe they're listening to during the summer. And we decided to take those songs and bring them to Scripture. Well, if you're kind of like me, you start inching over to Christmas music a little early, amen? Now, I'm not, I'm not like some of y'all, which once it hits August, it's all Christmas. I'm not there. But I like to, you know what I'm saying, start making my way over to Sunny 106.5 or whatever your radio station is. I would even encourage you to check out 90.5 SOS Radio um, in this season. Part of the reason why is because I did an interview with Scott Harold, one of their DJs and MCs there where we just broke down a lot of the Christmas story biblically and related it to songs. So he's going to be running those interviews throughout these next couple of weeks. So maybe you can hear some of that content on SOS Radio. Just a cool opportunity. Thank you, Scott, for inviting me to be on the air with you. Everybody in some capacity is listening to some type of Christmas music right now. There's a lot of different songs being played. Some have really deep spiritual, biblical, Christian meaning to it. Others do not, all right? Um, but nonetheless, Christmas music is being played. In fact, Scott told me that day when we were at the radio station, he said the, the listenership for his radio station and a lot of uh, stations go through the roof in the month of December just because people want to hear Christmas music. And so I thought it could be cool for us to do a spin on that with this series titled Christmas Playlist. So for the next few weeks, we're going to identify some of the most popular Christmas songs and then take them to the actual Christmas story and learn about Jesus through that. One of my favorite Christmas songs, I'm going to just play a little bit from it right now. And if, if, you, if you wouldn't mind just being awkward and uncomfortable, would you sing some of it with me here on stage? Just go ahead and run that song. Look at the five and ten, it's glistening once again. All right, come on, everybody. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. All right, let's go ahead and bring it down so we can eliminate that moment. Uh, we tried, we did well. Holly, that will bring on your own front. That's my Michael Bublé slash Frank Sinatra impersonation. Door. I want to preach a message to you today. Um, that I'm titling, it, It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas. It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas. It's a song that is being played on a lot of radio stations uh, right now, and it's a very popular and awesome song. It's written by Meredith Wilson in 1951, which was then made a lot more popular by Bing Crosby, who later redid it, and then... Uh, Michael Bublé took it to a new place a couple years ago with his Christmas album. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. One of the reasons why I wanted to go ahead and approach this song as the first installment in our sermon series is because the lyrics of this song provide some interesting thought on what does it mean and feel like and look like for it to look a lot like Christmas. And let's say how accurate those may actually be for real life and what the Bible tells us is Christmas. I'll put some lyrics up here on the screen. Here's some lyrics. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas everywhere you go. Take a look at the five and ten. It's glistening once again. Now, if you're kind of like me, I needed to, uh, I needed to look up the uh, five and ten. Uh, honestly, I was like, you know, I know it, I, I, I'm, I'm outing myself with this. It's pretty bad. Uh, the, the five and dime, I get it. It's kind of like a Walgreens CVS in our day. It was a popular store, convenience store. You would go to buy stuff. Thank you guys for making me feel terrible now that I, I was not aware. I thought it was a highway, all right? I'm like, okay. Take a look at the five and 10. Take a look at the I-15. It's glistening once again. I don't know. I realized this is talking about a store, and I just helped some of y'all out too. It's glistening once again. And it's glistening with candy canes and silver lanes, a glow. So the stores are starting to get a little more red and green, and, and it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Toys in every store. 
But the prettiest sight to see is the holly that will be on your own front door. There's a couple more verses of the song that speak about trees that are lit with snow and all types of different things that could make you feel that Christmas spirit. Or maybe you got that bah humbug spirit here today and you're just like, I don't like none of it. Well, we're going to try to change that over this month. Come on, stick around with us here at Walk Church. I want to ask the question biblically today and to everybody in the room and online, is this accurate when it comes to the actual real story of what it really means for it to look like Christmas? Christmas is a story that really happened about a savior named Jesus exiting heaven on a mission trip to come save humanity. Uh, This savior also has a title known as Messiah. And so the word Messiah translates to the Greek word Christos, which is where we get our English word Christ, which is where we get this concept of Christmas, which is where we celebrate the Messiah's birthday. So it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Let's talk about some of the biblical signs that actually make up the meaning of this song, at least the title of what it could mean. Amen? I want to invite you to turn with me to one of the Christmas narratives in the Gospel of Matthew. We'll take a look at that here today and learn from this awesome book. Matthew chapter 2, let's read verses 1 through 6. This is the account of the wise men coming to seek Jesus in their encounter with the king of the land at that time named Herod and what happens from there. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Verse 4, And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. Verse 6, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Uh, In these six verses, in this quick discourse, we find some of the the different ingredients that lead to this idea. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. I want to point a couple of them out in the scripture. Hopefully, they'll help our hearts and our souls here today. The first thing that you can see when it starts to look like Christmas is you'll see a star. A star, according to the wise men who are informing us here today, it's going to be a star that's going to make you recognize, oh, it's starting to look a lot like Christmas. I want you to even catch this here, right? The wise men show up in Jerusalem. These are people of stature and prominence. They are elite in their study, elite in their reputation, and Herod even has an encounter with them. And, and Herod says, hey, yo, wise men, what are y'all doing here? And you know what they say? This is Haydn's translation. I think they said, hey, Herod. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And Herod goes, what do you mean? And here's what they didn't say. Toys in every store. No, they said, there's a star. There's a star from the east that is pointing to the Savior. And this star is a big deal because this star is actually the fulfillment of a prophecy. Now, what is a prophecy? A prophecy is a word spoken by a prophet that foretells what will happen in the future, something specifically that God is going to do. So a prophecy says God will one day make this happen. Well, there was a prophecy thousands of years before this moment in the book of Numbers that spoke about this star. Numbers chapter 24, this is in the Old Testament Pentateuch. This is uh, some deep, rich content that's surrounded by Moses and all the different things that happened when God rescued his people. 
uh, out of slavery from Egypt, and they're on this journey, and Moses is inking these different books. And one of the prophecies given is, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star, come on, everybody say a star. A star shall come out of Jacob. Jacob, another name for Israel. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. This is also some similar language to the same prophetic word that was spoken to Eve in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God said to the serpent, I will one day crush your head. There's this idea that there's a Messiah, there's a king, there's an anointed one who would one day come. I see him, but it's not yet. I behold him. He's not near yet. A star is going to come and point to this Savior. So just one of the prophetic verses that lead to this idea is this star. Now, the wise men had, had held true to this verse. There's a variety of other prophetic verses that we're going to touch on. But you got to come next week for that. Amen. We're going to hit more. I got to leave some for the next couple weeks as well. But this is just one that's interesting when it comes to the Christmas story. It says, how will you know it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas? Well, you got to look for the star. And the star is a big deal. Why? Because biblically and historically, it was known that there was a 500-year gap where God was silent. So if you read the Old Testament, you'll stop at a place called Malachi, or as the Italians call it, Malachi, right? And you get there. That's corny. I'm trying, all right? Well, help me. Work with me. Work with me. Work with me. Hey, give me a courtesy laugh. I'm not using that one ever again, Jaffer. No, I'm not. You end up at Malachi, and up until that point, God has done a lot, Amen. Right? God has opened up the sea. God has used a slingshot and rocks through a guy named David to slay a cat named Goliath. God has raised people up. God's healed people that were sick. God has created ways. He sent angels. He sent prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel. He used Nehemiah to build the wall. Daniel shut the mouth. All types of stuff. The Old Testament is fascinating. And it's filled with all types of moments that should help people say, I'm not going to trust myself. I'm going to trust God. Yeah. It's filled with all types of scenarios and moments and miracles that make you say, sin is not the way. He is the way. I'm going to trust him. But listen, the people didn't get the point. Kind of like a lot of us. Where we need reminders. After reminders. After reminders. Well, after the book of Malachi, there's this hiatus. 500 years. I wonder after 100 years if people said, haven't heard from a prophet in a long time. Haven't been a sighting of an angel. I mean, we're still reading the word, but there's supposed to be something else that's coming. There's supposed to be a fulfillment. There's supposed to be like a virgin. There's supposed to be a baby. There's supposed to be a star. Year 200, year 300, year 400. I wonder if the people at that point started to just say, you know what? I think God has divorced us. God has given up on his people. God has decided to go a different direction. God is no longer going to fulfill his promise to me. God has given up on his people whom he once loved so much. And then, a star. That God breaks through the silence with a glow. And God cracks open the sky and puts in place a prophetic fulfillment through this star. And how will you know it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas? You'll know it when the star is shining. And when it speaks to the world that God is doing something new. And so that's one way you can know it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. That the biblically and historically that this star would come forth. But can I just go ahead and bring it down to our level, like on the ground? I want to go ahead and try to make this Christmas story that much more real for you, for you and I. I was thinking deeply about the star, and when we approach topics in the Bible, don't just rush past it like it's a drive-by, uh, a drive-through. It's, it's an opportunity to park and think about the star. One thing I was thinking about as I meditated on the idea of, of star is this. 
Um, a star's most basic definition, like if you do stars for dummies definition, you'll find like the first definition, which is like a, a, a definition from an astrologer and a scientist, and it's like gas and all types of physics make this thing come alive. But the star definition for dummy is this, light and darkness. What does a star do? A star brings light to darkness. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, and here's what I want you to hear me say today. Here's how you know. Jesus brings light to our darkness. I want to encourage you with that here today. Jesus is bringing something in Christmas to us. One thing that he's bringing is he's bringing light to our darkness. I want to I double-click on this point for a second, and I want to make it a little bit more clear for us because here's what I know. If we're not careful, we can come to church and be a part of this gathering and sit in this room and fake it till we make it and we never make it. And, and, and the reality is you're hurting. I was actually talking with um, one of our friends at our charge group this past week who works in the medical field, specifically in a surgery center. And she was just giving me some education on this season, especially within hospitals and in medical places, where there's a lot of people, especially in the month of December, that deal with heart pain, stress, anxiety, depression increases, heartache, um, people with symptoms and signs of heart attack, and people are flooding into hospitals wanting answers. And a lot of times what I realized is because people are broken and they have so much pain and so much darkness that they don't quite know what to do with it on Christmas time because they either miss a family member or wish they had something that they didn't have or wish their life turned out to be something that it wasn't or they're just fearful of something. Come on, everybody has something, amen? amen. Oh, I hope I'm not up here by myself. Everybody has some type of brokenness, some type of trial. I believe every single person in this room is walking through some type of trial. It's not just Mary and Joseph. It's y'all, it's me. Everybody in this room, if you unlayered past your outer self, have some level or layer of brokenness here today. In fact, you have some part of your story that's even dark. I wanted to give you this reality statement. Why is the star important? Here's why. Jesus is bringing light into your darkness. Allow him. Allow him to inch up close to you in this season, especially if you're feeling dark. You're feeling like, you know, I I woke up, but I don't want to get up. And maybe only people that know about pain know about what I'm talking about. Where you've went through something, and maybe that's why you come up to the front and lift your hands or get on your knees or tears are streaming down your cheek because Jesus is bringing light into your darkness, and it's a big deal. It's a big deal. I love what my sister Vanessa told me earlier right here on the front row. She said, I walked here to church today, and I was so tempted to not. But I told the devil, I got to make it to the house today. I want to encourage you. Jesus is bringing light into your darkness. He's, He's using your step of faith to get here to bring something into your season. I love the star in Christmas because at its most basic function, what it's doing is it's announcing light to the world. The winter season is oftentimes known for darkness, known for cold. No, 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 stay in. It's not the springtime where the sun's out. Now, Las Vegas will trick you every once in a while. Come on, amen. <laughs> but listen to me. Um, it's, isn't it fascinating that Jesus would come forth in the winter? The light would shine forth in the season, crack the sky open, bring light to our darkness. I want to I encourage you with that. Jesus, he does that. The other thing about the star, as I was thinking deeply about the star, is to just go here with me. It's kind of a bit of a pun, if you would. And y'all know I'm super punny, all right? <laughs> Feeling punny today. Um, the, thank you for that preach. Thank you for that preach. Preach the 
preach it, brother. Um, when I was thinking about the star, here's the word that came to me. Jesus is the star. Let it sink in. Let it catch you. It's going to hit you while you're driving. You go, oh, what do I mean by that? Jesus is, is, is making a declaration through the star. I'm the star. In other words, you're not the star of the show. You're not the star of Christmas. It's not the trees with the snow. That can't be the star. It can't be the toys on every store. That can't be the star, amen? It can't even be the music. It can't be the peppermint mochas, amen? I'm grateful for the peppermint mocha, but that can't be the star. What is Christmas trying to announce to us? Jesus is the star. It's either good news that makes you want to clap, and I'm with you, or it's troubling news that make you feel, my starship is de devaluing, <laughs> which is the best thing for you. Look at Matthew 2 with me one more time. I think this is just really interesting. The wise men bring this good news. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, when Herod the king heard this, wait, 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 don't click, don't click, don't click. Don't go back, go back, go back, go back. Okay. When Herod the king heard this, I wonder his options. Yes, the king of kings is here. The Lord, the savior, Jesus has come to save the day. He is the star of my world. But it's next slide, here we go he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Why was Herod troubled? Because Herod's the star. Herod wants to be the star of the story. Herod says, hey, everybody needs to come down and worship me. If you're not worshiping me, you're in trouble. Well, now Herod hears about from the wise men who have stature and prominence. Hey, look, look the king of Israel is here. We saw the star, and Herod gets scared. He gets troubled. Can I just encourage you today? Invite Jesus to be the star. Invite Jesus to be the star of your marriage. Invite Jesus to be the star of your house. Invite Jesus to be the star of your home. Invite Jesus to be the star of your heart. You're not the star. I want the quickest way to misery is if you make yourself the star. You're not the star. Jesus is the star. If you don't allow him to be that, you'll be troubled. Jesus doesn't want you to be troubled. He wants to help you with your troubles. When you allow Jesus to be the star, in other words, it's all about him. You know, I've been teaching this principle to my boys. Um, uh, my my sons, I've been trying to just instill in them this reality. And I love it. My, my boy Asa, um, he pops up uh, with this basketball outfit on, and he goes, look, Dad, I'm an all-star. And for those of y'all know who know Asa, he just got this little squeaky voice, and he's just so fun. And then my boy Epaph, our oldest, you know, I don't think he even really knows what he means. It's just how he came up. He goes, nah, Asa, God's the all-star. <laughs> he doesn't really, he's just, just, we, he's the star. He's the star. Jesus is. He's prominent. The, the word prominent means first. The word prominent means very important, the famous one. To have prominence means you're, you're, you're the one who's the star of the show can I just tell you, Jesus is the star of this church. It's not going to be a person. If you want to get let down, fix your eyes on people. If you want to get lifted up, fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the star. But if you're not careful, you'll put other people in his place. They'll let you down. You'll put toys or lack thereof in its place, if you get so sad that you missed it on a specific material item, you've missed that Jesus was actually the one. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. It's him. 
He's the star. Let me give you another reality statement. Jesus brings prominence to our problems. He, bring, he brings prominence over them. So don't allow your problems to be the star. Allow Jesus to bring prominence over your problems. Does that make sense? Don't allow your problems to be the big thing. It could be a health thing, honestly. And I don't want to take away from that. That's a big deal. Invite Jesus into it. Don't walk through it alone. What I've found is when Jesus becomes prominent, all of a sudden he's the star. I don't have all that pressure anymore of having to perform. I can just be. I can be a son. You can be a daughter. You can be a child of the star. The pressure falls off. You don't have to perform. You don't have to be somebody. You're not. You don't have to arrive. You don't have to earn it. And that becomes the prominent thing where now your problems actually get a little bit smaller. They just begin to shrink. The things that were so loud and scary get put in their rightful ordering, and you say, all right, I'm not the star. I'm going to go to the star. He needs to bring light into my darkness. Is this helping somebody? It's helping me. I need to be reminded Reminded of that. Let me give you the second point of the sermon here today. How do you know it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas? Well, you'll see a star, and also you'll see a sight. You'll see a a sight, a specific place, a specific season, a specific location. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. You'll see a star, and you'll see a sight. Let me give you the sight. The sight is Bethlehem. This city called Bethlehem. Let's jump back into the wise man's sermon to King Herod. Matthew chapter 2. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired them where the Christ was to be born. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Herod, he gathers up the chief priests. He gathers up all the authors and all the scribes. And he says, I need a meeting right now. Where is the Messiah to be born? Tell me which golden hospital will this king arrive? He must be in the most prominent of places, right? They told him, oh, you haven't read your Bible. He's going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet Micah, and you, O Bethlehem, In the land of Judah, now watch this, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. In other words, the smallest of towns will not be the least among the towns. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. This is actually a prophetic word, comes from the book of Micah. Let's go ahead and look at Micah chapter 5 and how this prophetic word came to life. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Here's the prophetic word that the wise men speak prophetically to King Herod. Come on, let's read it together. Ready? I want you to read it off the screen with me. Ready? One, two, three. But you, O Bethlehem, come on, try it. Ephrata. Let's, let's, can we rewind it? Let's try it again. You got to say it with some, some, some passion, some spunk, some charisma. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrata, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from you of old, from ancient days. Such an interesting prophecy. You got the Numbers passage. This Messiah is going to come forth. You'll see a star. You got the Micah prophecy. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrata, this, this region of Bethlehem, this agricultural area of Bethlehem, you're too little to be among the clans of Judah. Micah even says, hey, Bethlehem, you guys don't quite make it to the top of the list. Um, you're too little among the clans of Judah. You, you get left out when it comes to the places in Israel that get a lot of the attention. From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. I wonder if everybody read that passage in Micah and thought, what? 
That doesn't even make sense. He's coming forth from of old, from ancient days, back in the Numbers passage, in the Genesis 3 passage. It's pointing to this Messiah. And what I want to encourage you with here today is Jesus can bring light and life out of the most unexpected places, amen? In the most unexpected seasons, in the most bizarre of situations, don't count it out. Wouldn't it be of God for him to flip the script, flip the script? Y'all know what I'm talking about, flip the script? Like, think about it like this. Let me just use my own uh, journey with Nina and our babies. We have four little boys, and I can remember each experience with these little boys of the birthing process of seeing them come to life. But I remember especially with Epaph, our firstborn son, I can remember just being a couple months out. This is all so very new. Nina's about to have a baby. We started looking up all the hospitals. Come on, right? We're like researching which one has more stars than the other. We like start looking up the doctors and start looking up the reviews. And we're like, okay, now this hospital is about 5.2 miles away. This hospital is about 7.8 miles away. But we know the nursing stuff in the pediatric unit. And we start thinking about all this stuff, right? Because we want it to be special. We want it to be right. And I've found that most people do that. Now, when they get to their third or fourth kid, that typically is out the window, right? They're like, move on. Let's get there already. Hurry up, right? But, but my point is the birthing experience is, is, is something that's precious, intimate, and wanting it to be done well. Um, now, let's go ahead and flip the script to Joseph and Mary's story. So you got Joseph. He just got engaged to Mary. He's thinking, this is going to be my, my wifey. I'm going to get a nice ring. We're going to have a, a small town wedding there in Nazareth. And we're just going to live our lives and nobody's going to know about us. And it's going to be all good. And then, bang, Mary has this encounter where she has prophesied that she's going to give birth to the Savior of the world, which she then, by faith, says, let it be done. I am your servant. What's impossible with man is possible with God. And then she gives this word to her fiancé, Joseph, and Joseph says quietly in his heart, I'm going to divorce you, and we ain't even married yet. (laughs) And Joseph does something that's very wise. He goes back to his home, he lays down on his bed, and he sleeps on it. Take that piece of wisdom, leader. Don't make a temporary decision off of emotion that could have eternal consequences. Go go to sleep on it. Sometimes I've had to write the email. I'm going to go to sleep on it. And I wake up the next morning, I go, delete. It felt good to write it out. Amen. I didn't send it out, praise the Lord. If I would have sent it out in the moment, I would have slept on it and woke up and been probably bothered. I sent it. What Joseph does is he says, it says, as he considered these things, he decided to divorce her quietly. And as he considered these things, he fell asleep. There's so much power in that verse. Sleep on it. And what happens? In the dream, he gets a word from the word. He gets a verse. He gets a word. Take her as your wife. You're going to get a chance to name him Jesus, and he's going to save his people from their sins. There's this powerful moment in Joseph's journey, in Joseph's story. Well, what happens next is he receives his calling, and then there's this decree that's set forth from Jerusalem. And the decree is that everybody must make a pilgrimage to the holy city to pay Caesar this specific tax in order to be in right standing with the government. And and I can imagine, listen, I can imagine Joseph saying, now I'm supposed to be the adopting father of the savior of the world. We got to have the hospital right. It's got to be right here in Nazareth. And the time is ticking. You got to get to Jerusalem and we don't have Uber. We don't have limo service for the king of kings. In fact, it's debate. Did he have a donkey? Maybe. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to prop Mary, who's pregnant, with the son of God on this donkey, and we're going to make our way up to Jerusalem. Some believe that this was about a month-long trip. It's the winter season. It's cold. We don't know that Joseph has a lot of money. There's fear of sickness. There's fear of the travels. It's fear of, will she, will, do we have a nurse to go with us? What, I mean, what are we going to do? We don't know what to do. 
but they begin following the journey and wind up in Jerusalem. And then Mary starts having contractions and they can't find a place that will let them in. There is no NICU unit here on the Bethlehem floor, right? And finally they wind up in Bethlehem. Joseph is not well-versed in this area. And an innkeeper says, hey, y'all can come in here. Hang out with the animals. Isn't it of God that he'll just say, you know, it's not going to be pretty. In fact, it's going to be messy. One of the most contradictory songs that I love in the Christmas season is Silent Night. (laughs) Come on, amen? What was silent about that night? You ever been in a, a, you know... Uh, uh, you ever seen a labor in a barn before with the animals and, and a baby that just was born and Joseph's probably freaking out and, and the wise men and the, you know, many believe that the wise men came way later. That's fine. But it wasn't a, it wasn't a silent night. All right. I think it was a chaotic, messy night. Why is that important? That's us. Praise God that Jesus... Man, I'm grateful that Jesus jumps into the mess of humanity and it doesn't have to be all peachy and roses and beautiful. Like, it was a barn. It was not smelling good. It was, there was blood everywhere. Like, golly. Like, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. What does that mean? It looks like, a, that means it's a trip to Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the is too. Hold on a second. Bethlehem's too little to be among the clans of Judah. That can't be where the Messiah comes from. God's trying to make a point. He's trying to bring light into our darkness. And I really believe this as well. This is a word for somebody. He's trying to bring clarity into our confusion. Let him do that. If today you feel confused about something. You don't need another self-help book. You don't just need another band-aid of motivation. You don't need another sip of alcohol. You don't need another joint of weed. You don't need another pair of shoes. You, d- you don't need a Gucci bag. Come on, I'm, uh, you, listen to me. You don't need to get married. Why are you getting married? I just want to fulfill this lifelong dream of being married. I don't know the person, but whatever, I'm doing it. No, no, you don't need to have kids. I'm talking about some stuff is bad, some stuff is good, but whatever it is this Christmas season, you need Jesus to bring clarity into your confusion. Invite Jesus into your Bethlehem. Don't move from that moment until he gives it to you. Don't just pray a shotgun prayer, Lord, help me. Oh, he didn't help me. No, sit there for a moment and think deeply on the Savior and think about his goodness and count his blessings and remember a time when he did that for you. Remember a time of his faithfulness. You know, one of my favorite verses, I remember memorizing this verse in seminary. Um, Dr. Chuck Lawless challenged me to memorize this verse and it's stuck with me ever since. I wanna give it to you. It's It's a hidden gem buried within the Bible that has really helped me. I pray it would help you as well. I want to show you this verse. It's in 2 Chronicles. Come on, say Chronicles. (laughs) 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. Let's look at this verse together. I want want you to read it with me off the screen. Here we go. You ready? You ready? Anybody ready? All right, let's read it together. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? In other words, God, will you not take care of this for me? God, will you not take care of the problems that are outside of my ability? He says, for we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I love this verse right here. It's been a a life verse for me. There's been moments throughout my life, and especially a lot as of late, where I just don't know what to do. God, I don't, should I go left, should I go right, should I go forward, should I go backwards? People have problems, trying to make the right decision. Lord, I just don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. A verse that can help your soul when you feel like you just don't know how to move, when you feel powerless. Anybody ever feel powerless? Okay, I'm not alone. 
Sometimes we feel powerless. I know I'm powerful, but I, I feel powerless. When you feel that way and you don't know what to do, oh, that's okay. Look, fix your eyes on Jesus. He'll bring clarity to your confusion. He'll bring clarity to your Bethlehem. I wonder if Mary and Joseph had a ton of moments where they just asked, Lord, what are you doing? Lord, why are we going to Bethlehem now? I want to lay down. And I don't want this rock to be my pillow. And Joseph's stressing out. Oh, Lord, bring clarity to our confusion. Lord, when you don't know what to do, fix your eyes on him. One of the verses that has been a, a game changer for me that I read yesterday, and I just thought, you know what? I want to share it today. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. If you, if you don't know this verse, you need to know it. At some point, God will teach it to you, all right? At some point, it's going to come alive to you. Come on, read verse 5 with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Rewind. One more time. Trust in the Lord with, come on, say it loud, your heart. And now watch this. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Oh, I love the book of Proverbs. I was reading Proverbs 4 this morning. The verse said, get wisdom and get insight, and whatever you get, get insight. And I said, you just said the same thing twice. And I felt like the Lord was like, exactly. <laughs> trying, to, trying to get it through to your head. Get wiser. Get, get more insight. I like what KB said just a little bit ago during our host moment. He talked about, hey, why are we here? We're here to get better. We're here to get insight. You came on site to get insight. Amen. You came here to get to hear. You clicked on the site to get some insight, to get some wisdom. You're wiser for it. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. I don't know if I can. Lord, help me to make this. I got to come down. I got to come down. I got to come down to make this clear. I want to help somebody here. You are not going to understand everything. Well, let me, tell, let me try this side too. You are not going to understand it all. There's going to be things that God's going to call you to do, ask you to do, nudge you to do, encourage you to do, and you're just going to say, Lord, I just don't understand why we have to go to Bethlehem. I, I had a plan. I had a thought. I had a vision. There's actually another proverb that says, a man plans his course in his heart, but the Lord determines his steps. The Lord determines how you got to let go of control, which means there's going to be moments where you don't understand. But listen to me and hear me well. It's in those moments where you don't understand, where you anchor yourself to Proverbs 3, 5, where you realize he never called you to understand. In fact, what he did was call you to not lean on your own understanding, but instead to trust him with all your most precious thing, your heart. Friend, when you don't understand, that's okay. That's an invitation to trust him. When you don't understand why things are happening, what things are happening, what will one day happen, put yourself in Mary and Joseph's Crocs, all right? Put yourself in their sandals, amen? Come on, if anybody ever had a moment, God, I don't understand, it was Joseph. So I'm supposed to marry her and raise him and not get any credit? All that. All right. If anybody, Mary, so wait, I'm, and we got to go to Bethlehem and, and we got a crazy guy named Herod who I hear is trying to kill us. I don't even know Herod. I know of Herod. How does he know who I am? The wise men are trying to find. Come on, when you don't understand, here, listen, don't lean on your own understanding. You don't need to. Acknowledge him. In this verse, verse 6, God's taking me on a journey through verse 6. 
In all your ways, acknowledge him. At one point, I thought that meant I always need to be saying, praise God, praise God, praise God. Hey, Hayden, what's up, man? Praise God. <laughs> where, where are you going to eat? Praise God. I'm going to, you know, going to Chick-fil-A. Praise God. Right? You know, acknowledge him in all your ways. Praise God. Right? It's like, and then I realized I'm, I'm a big praise God guy, but that's not what the verse means. The verse means acknowledge him in all your ways. In other words, when you're, in your, when you're in your darkness, when you're in your confusion, when you're in your pain, acknowledge him. It just might be you and him. God, I know you're in this elevator with me. I'm about to walk into my house. I know you're with me. I'm about to step in to teach again at this school. And I have this one student. God, I know you're... This person just said something rude to me. Maybe you work in retail. This person just took all the clothes off the rack and walked away. Lord, I know you're with me. I know you're with me. Jesus, I know you're, I want to acknowledge you. That's one way to bring purpose into your pain is by acknowledging he's with you. Amen? Come on. Just by simply acknowledging God's here with me right now. I used to have to do that when I was on the court playing basketball professionally. Lord, I know you're with me on this court, and I know you're with me on this bench, and I know you're with me in the locker room, and I know you're with me in the car. I'm just acknowledging your presence. This is a relationship, amen? It's a lifestyle, Christianity. Jesus brings purpose into our pain. That's Christmas. Man, I I believe this word, even so even in, in the sight uh, if you're looking for what does it look to, what does it mean to look a lot like Christmas? Oh, it looks like a star. It looks like a sight. And the last point of this sermon as we close is it looks like a savior. Yeah. Come on, amen. It looks like a savior. It looks like a savior named Jesus. That's his name. His name, he has a name, is Jesus Christ. Jesus the Messiah. He, he does it. He's the star. He's on sight. He's the Savior. Come on, amen? Amen. Don't miss him, and don't miss what he's doing. Maybe you've heard this phrase, there's a reason for the season. You know what the the reason is? It's It's not just the star. It's not just the sight. It's the saving. It's It's the blood of Jesus. It's the blood that's in this baby that can save. Let me show you uh, a verse. Um, as, let me, let's look at the Matthew 2 one more time as we prepare to land this plane. It says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you, so we got the Bethlehem, we got the star, from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Oh, I was debating between the S's. I was going to go star, sight, shepherd. Um, but the shepherd leads to the Savior. God, he, Jesus doesn't just shepherd us. He shepherds us and saves us. Amen? He, he is the Savior. That links to what, what was spoken to, to Joseph in, in Matthew 1. Let's look at it as we close. Worship team, help me, help me close this sermon here today. It says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua, Jesus, right? And he will save his people from their sins. My final reality statement, if you're writing things down, is this. Jesus brings saving into our sinning. Jesus, he's the one who brings, he brings saving mm, into our sinning. Um, I want to remind you of this. We have this communion packet every first Sunday of the month. It's December. Um, every first Sunday of the month. Uh, we grab a communion packet for those who are believers in Jesus. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, this doesn't make sense. Um, Don't feel any pressure to approach the table. But for those who have been saved by the blood, Jesus died on a cross for our sins. Our sins will separate us from God. But Jesus came so that we could be brought near. So by his blood, we're made whole. So today I want to invite you to give yourself away to him, to give your sins to him on the cross. 
If you haven't received Jesus, this is your invitation to receive him today. Put your faith in Christ. Trust him with all your heart. If you are a believer in Jesus, acknowledge your sin and give it to him again. Just say, Lord, I pray that you would, the power of confession. It's not like you need to get saved again. It's just a reminder that you're saved. And so you don't need to live in sin anymore. If you're a believer, when you approach this bread, remind yourself that Jesus died for the sins that are tempting you. When you take this cup, remind yourself that his blood is the new covenant where you don't have to earn it, you just get to receive it. The wrath of God is is coming forth towards sins and Jesus bears the wrath on the tree so that you can be forgiven and free. Partake in the communion today with confidence and gladness. If you need to make something right with God, do that before you approach the table. If you need to make something right with somebody, encourage you, examine your heart, and then approach the communion table with gladness and joy. We're gonna have some of our leaders up front. If you wanna respond, uh, come down and pray with any of us, you can. If you wanna just kneel, you can kneel. If you wanna stand, if you wanna shout, if you wanna, if you wanna cry, just go to him in this time. Amen. Lord, I thank you for this sermon. I needed it. Thank you that you bring purpose into our pain, clarity into our confusion. Oh God, thank you. If there's anybody today that needs to get saved right now, just put your faith in him. Just say, Jesus, I'm ready. I turn away from my sins and right now I turn with faith to you. Oh God, save me. Change me. Fill me with your Holy Ghost. I turn away from my past, and I turn directly to you. Holy Spirit, heal me. Wash my sins away. And give me faith to follow you all my days. I trust you with all my heart. And I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Come on.